Recently, Pam and I were in a conversation with uh, someone and we were talking about our longevity here at Southridge. And this person asked Pam for some of the reasons she thought why we had lasted so long. And one of the things Pam uh, pointed to was she believed that I have the spiritual gift of faith. Meaning that if God has called me to something, I really do believe that God will take me through that. Regardless of how hard it is, I will continue to keep going forward until God tells me to do something different. Uh, in the last couple of weeks, we have been looking at, at a series called The Resilient Church. And we've looked at things that allow us to be resilient, both personally and corporately as a church, as a body. And uh, in my research of looking at resilience, one of my favorite definitions of resilience is this, the ability to advance despite adversity. And um, as psychologists continue to uh, look at resilience and understand why some people are resilient and others aren't, they have found that there are really six domains uh, that they look at when considering resilience. And the most important of these domains is what they call vision. And what they mean by that is when a person has purpose for their life, when they have a, a vision for their life, they are way more able to be resilient when adversity strikes their life. And they talk about it in certain ways is that the certainty of their purpose, the certainty of the focus of their life allows for them to have clarity in life, especially when they are facing tough decisions, they're able to be decisive. And so really what this research is saying is this, understanding your purpose in life gives you the ability to be resilient. Now, uh, to understand our purpose, one of the things we have to actually go back to and look at is our own identity of who we are. Uh, because we can't really understand our purpose without understanding our identity. Which, for me, as I look at our culture and the things going on, uh, causes me some concern for our next generation. Especially in the whole deconstruction of sexuality and gender that is going on. As I look at that, I, I really believe that our next generation, as they tackle the, these issues without a solid foundation of understanding who they really are, their identity, it's just going to leave them in a position where they are going to struggle because they won't be able to find the purpose for their lives. We, and then we will therefore be raising a generation that is even less resilient than our generation right now. When it comes to the biblical understanding of our uh, identity uh, and purpose, I think there's a couple of things to be reminded of. The first is this, when it comes to identity, we need to remember that God created us in His image. And what that means is that He gave us a soul and that we are unique among His creation. We are different than the rest of his creation. We have the ability to love. We have the ability to express joy. We have the ability to have purpose in our life. We have the ability to have a relationship with him. Which then leads to the second understanding of identity when it comes to the New Testament. When we become God's children, he gives us this brand new identity. And now no longer are we just his creation, we are actually his children. In John chapter 1, verse 12, 
uh, John writes this about Jesus. And he says, Yet to all who did receive him, referring to Jesus, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when we come to Jesus and we place our faith in Jesus, our identity changes. And that's one of the first struggles that we have as new believers is because we have to understand that the things we used to identify now aren't as important as our identity in Jesus and our identity as children of God. That's why Paul in Galatians 3.28 writes that verse that we are one in Christ and therefore it's not about being Jew or Gentile. It's not about being male or female or even slave or free. Those things that we used to identify are not as important now as our identity found in Christ and our identity found as God's children. And so why is this so important for us to understand? Why is it so important for us to understand our identity? Because I don't think we can actually find our purpose in life if we don't first figure out our identity and who we are. When it comes to being God's children, if we actually get to that place where we discover that and understand that as our identity, then it, then it leads us into the next step to understand that God has authority over our life because He's our Father and that He actually has a purpose for our life. And so if we are able to discover the purpose for our life, the purpose that God has for us, we will be more resilient than if we don't discover that. Which means that it shouldn't surprise us that the Bible is full of people who are resilient. Because after all, they, the Bible is full of individuals who discover God's purpose for their lives. If you turn to Hebrews chapter 11, chapter 11 in Hebrews has a whole list of people who are uh, pointed out as having this amazing faith in God. Because they discover God's purpose for their life. And it starts out in verse 1 and it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And the writer of Hebrews tells us, actually gives us a little hint about how to get resilience in our life. And it has to do with faith. And this whole concept that faith is having a confidence in something, in someone, even if our world is falling apart around us. And even if we don't see an end to it or don't see a way out, that faith gives us the confidence to continue to move forward, to continue to trust in God, to continue to believe that He has the best for us. And yet, I find that a lot of Christians know verse 1, but they stop there and they don't move down to verse 2. And this is what verse 2 says. This is what the ancients were commended for. This idea of faith, this concept of trusting in someone even though you can't see the end. And the ancients were commended for it. Now the writer of Hebrews is talking about the ancients and he's referring to the, the people that you read about in the Old Testament. He wrote during the first century. And now us as a church, we're living in 2021. This is 1900 years later. And if you were a history buff, you realize that that's a lot of years to find more people who are living the same way that the ancients lived in the Old Testament. When I uh, went to seminary, I came across uh, an individual that kind of drew my attention. His name was John Wycliffe. And I don't know if you've ever heard that name, and I really hadn't heard his name until I was forced to do a paper on him uh, in my second year of seminary. And um, 
This man is an amazing man of God, and he went through a ton of things where he had to be resilient in order to continue doing what God had called him to do. And I'd like to look just for a few minutes today and acquaint you with this guy and tell you a little bit about his life and how he was resilient. He was born in 1330, we think. We're not 100% sure, which means he lived over 700 years ago. That's a lot of years in between him and us. And yet the things I'm going to talk about, you'll see that the things he was wrestling with are the same things we have to wrestle with. In 1345, John, only 15 years old, started attending Oxford, the university. Now that wasn't uncommon in his day. They had a little bit of a different educational system. But he experienced the same thing all students today have experienced over the last year. You see, his schooling was interrupted by a pandemic, the Black Death, the bubonic plague, which ravaged England uh, in the years 1347 to about 1351. But instead of being able to continuing, continue his education online, they actually stopped classes. There was no law, online option. And so he knew what it was like to have his education interrupted. He continued in his education. And ultimately, uh, in, in 1372, he graduated with his doctorate. At that point, he was considered the leading theologian and the leading philosopher at Oxford University, which was the preeminent university of, of Europe during that time. And uh, as John studied the Bible, because he loved the Bible, as he studied it, he, he started to realize that what scripture said didn't match up with what the church was teaching and even how the church was operating. And so a, a number of things that he came to believe, which were opposed to what the church was, uh, you might think they just seem self-evident. But here's some of the things that he came to a conviction of. First, that Jesus was the head of the church, not the Pope. That the Bible was, is the sole authority over a believer's life. That people had a direct relationship with God. They didn't need an intermediate. They didn't need a priest to go and confess their sins to. That the mission of the church was the Great Commission. Not the running of nations. Not the taxing of the people. That uh, godly character should be the qualifications for spiritual leadership. Not... Uh, not connections, not wealth, and that the Bible should be able to be read by everyone from a pauper to the Pope. All these changes he argued for, and all these changes would form the foundation of the Reformation, which was still uh, about a century and a half later. And that's why, in many ways, John Wycliffe is often referred to as the morning star of the Reformation, because his ideas, his arguments laid the foundation that Luther and Calvin would build upon when the Reformation really started and really kicked in to high gear. As you can imagine, John's views did not go over well with the church and especially the Pope. And this led to a number of conflicts. And the first one was uh, in 1377 in London where John was hauled before a council to answer for some of his teachings. And uh, it was pretty rowdy. 
The first thing when he got there, a debate broke out whether he should sit or whether he needed to stand for the whole uh, discussion, the whole inquiry. And soon after that, a brawl broke out. And it got so out of hand that everything just had to be canceled. And everyone walked away. About a year later, in 1378, in another city, uh, he was again uh, called before people, or at least his teachings were looked at. Um, and nothing really came of it because he had so much support at the University of Oxford. The government actually supported him because they really liked his views on this idea that the church shouldn't be able to tax secular governments. And he even had the Queen Mother write him a letter in support of, of who he was. And this just makes us pause for a moment and when we're talking about resilience and it's a reminder that our resilience sometimes is dependent on others. Your ability to be resilient isn't just about you, it's about those you have in your life. Uh, last weekend I had the privilege of performing a marriage uh, ceremony and in my talk to the couple that I was giving them, I, I shared about how important this marriage relationship is. And one of the things that Pam and I have found important over our years of marriage is that sometimes when one of us is struggling or down or not feeling as resilient, the other one comes alongside and lifts us up. And I think that's why God designed marriage the way he did, because he knew that we needed someone to come alongside us and champion us and really lift us up when we were in our low moments, in our low spots. It's a pity that oftentimes our biggest critic is our spouse. This is not the way marriage was supposed to be. In fact, marriage is supposed to be one of those relationships that helps us be resilient. But even beyond marriage, God has given us friends. People that surround us to speak into our lives, to encourage us at just the right moment, to help give us that word that keeps us fighting and moving us forward. And John had a number of friends that surrounded him and spoke encouragement into his life when he faced the most difficult of situations. And then sometimes there are uh, people in our lives that we have no direct connection to, but that we influence or they influence us like the Queen Mother's influence on the proceedings, speaking on John's behalf. And there are other moments when we can influence others. Think about this. If you have any decision-making uh, ability in your job, where your decisions impact others, you have influence. And whether it's uh, you're a business owner, whether it's you're a shift supervisor, whether you're in education, there are moments when you are interacting with people and you can actually speak into their life that help them become resilient. In fact, there be, may be moments this week when someone comes to you and just needs a word of encouragement or you to make a decision that will give them the ability to be resilient. It might be as simple as this. You control the schedules for the shift work and someone comes and asks you to move a shift. And you, by moving it, helps them deal with or creates space for them to deal with something going on in their life and allows them to be resilient. It's amazing what even small acts will do to help others be resilient in your life. 
And what if God has put you in those positions of leadership, those positions of influence, so that you can use your influence, your leadership, to help others become resilient in their life? Sometimes your resilience depends on others. Your resilience can also inspire others. And this was the case for John Wycliffe. Um, in the same year that he was tried by a special committee that actually uh, found uh, that 10 of his 24 conclusions were heretical and the other 14 were erroneous. And this this really faced, uh, forced John uh, into uh, a moment what, what, that I would refer to as a relis, religious restraining order. Basically, he was banned from his position at Oxford and forced to go to, uh, to his little uh, parish in Lutterworth, where he lived there and ministered to the people there, but he could still keep writing. And it was at this other council in, in uh 1382, that is often referred to or called as the Earthquake Council because as they were deliberating on all these conclusions and charges, an earthquake struck with both sides believing that it was God speaking on behalf of themselves, the church believing that it, God was condemning John Wycliffe and uh, Wycliffe supporters believing that God was speaking in defense of John Wycliffe, which is kind of funny when you start looking at uh, things that events that happen to draw conclusions from. But regardless, at the end of that, John's teachings were banned. But in that same year, a girl by the name of Anne, by the name of Anne, married the king, King Edward II. And Anne was from Bohemia. And because of that marriage, Anne encouraged a number of students from Bohemia to come and study at Oxford, and they did. Which then led them into contact with John's teachings, even though they had been banned. And those students took those teachings back to Bohemia, and a, a fellow there by the, another name of John, John Huss, read those teachings, and John Wycliffe's writings influenced his thinking. John Huss would be, become basically the John Wycliffe of Bohemia. And he would become and classified as a heretic and eventually even be burned at the stake. And the events and the teachings that John started in England were carried on to continental Europe, which laid the foundation for the reformation of Luther and Calvin, as we've already talked about. You see, your resilience can inspire others to continue on. And yet, oftentimes, when we're looking at people who are resilient in their life, we can kind of dismiss them. We're tempted to play down their resilience. Sometimes we look at their life and think, oh, they have it easier than I do. My life's harder than them. Or they, they are obviously smarter than I am. I've had to struggle for everything I've learned. Or maybe it's uh, just they had positions or wealth or opportunities, things that I never had. And so we discount their ability to be resilient. John Wycliffe came from a, a well-to-do family which allowed him to go to university. It paid for him to go, at least at the initial start. But John faced disappointments in life. You see, he was passed over for promotions. He wanted to be a bishop and was denied that. And 
was only given a small parish to oversee. He lost his popular standing at Oxford. He lost his support from the government. And he was really restricted from being someone who was on the national stage to being now in the small country setting. And he even faced health issues. In 1382, he suffered a stroke. And then two years later, in 1384, he had a second stroke, which ultimately led to his death that year. And here's the interesting thing. During that bleak time of being ostracized from the public view, of having these health issues, all this going on, it was per perhaps the most prolific period of his life in terms of writing. And the thing he's best known for, translating the Latin scriptures, the Vulgate, into the English language, he accomplished with a group of friends during that time. What many would consider the bleakest part of his life actually became the most fruitful part of his life. Your resilience can inspire, but also realize that your resilience can also irritate people. You see, the church hated John Wycliffe. Let me, let, me, let me read a couple of quotes. The church hated John Wycliffe so much, especially for the translation of, uh, of the Bible into the English language, that they said this, by this translation, the scriptures have become vulgar, and that word means common, and they are more available to the lay and even to women who can read than they were to learned scholars who have a high intelligence so that the pearl of the gospel is scattered and trodden upon underfoot by swine. Wow. The church really didn't want common people, ordinary people, to understand what the Bible had said. This is uh, Wycliffe's reply and per perhaps maybe his most famous quote. Englishmen learn Christ's law best in English. Moses heard God's law in his own tongue. So did Christ's apostles. And that was his defense of why he thought and believed the Bible should be translated into English. The Archbishop of Canterbury would say this at one point about John Wycliffe. That pestilent and most wretched John Wycliffe of damnable memory, a child of the old devil, and himself a child or pupil of Antichrist, who while he lived, walking in the vanity of his own mind, with a few other adjectives, adverbs, and verbs, which I shall not give, crowned his wickedness by translating the scriptures into the mother tongue. You see, your resilience can inspire, but it can also irritate people. The church actually outlawed the translating of the Bible from Latin into any common language. They made it illegal to do that. And they burned any copy they could find of Wycliffe's translations. And think about this. This was before the printing press, so every copy that they produced had to be handwritten. And to this day, even now, there are over 250 copies of Wycliffe's Bible that have survived. Think about how many didn't survive. John died in 1384, but that didn't mean that the church was finished with him. 
You see in 1415, over 30 years later, at the Council of Constance, John was finally convicted fully of being a heretic. And they condemned 45 of his errors and, and declared him a heretic. And then 13 years after that, at the Pope's insistence, they dug up his body, burned his bones until they were ash, and then threw him in the river. Talk about holding a grudge. <laughs> the church tried to silence John, but they couldn't. Because John found resilience in his purpose. And a lot of his purpose he didn't discover until near the end of his life. And so I say this as an encouragement. If you're not sure what God's purpose is for you right now, don't give up in finding it. Don't give up in looking for it. Sometimes the thing God has the most for you to do in this life is near the end of your life. Not at the beginning and not at the middle. And sometimes the thing God works in you and on you throughout your life is preparing you for that next step that God wants you to take. And you never know how your resilience in living out God's purpose for you will impact and influence others in your life. Whatever God is calling you to do, whatever God is calling you to be, your purpose, maybe it's to be a godly parent, maybe it's to be a business person with integrity, maybe it's to be a tradesperson who builds things for the glory of God, maybe it's to be a health professional who eases the suffering of others. Whatever it is, whatever God is calling you into, whatever God is calling you to be, I challenge you, live and step into it with faith, trusting in the purpose that God has for you, believing even though you can't see an outcome, believing even though you're not sure what the next step is, because it will allow you to be resilient. It will allow you to move forward in spite of adversity. And here's the thing. Sometimes the resilience of living God's purpose in our life is more powerful to people around us than any verse we could ever quote to them. Because we refuse to give up. We refuse to give in. All we try and do is to live out God's purpose because we have discovered our identity as His children and then our purpose that He has given us. Let me pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that, you that you give us an identity as your children, that you give us a purpose in life. And because of that identity and because of that purpose, we can have resilience when we face adversity. So God, I pray for those who are listening right now who may be going through some difficult things. Give them the faith to continue to press on. Help them to be resilient. And Lord, for those who maybe are able to influence others or are in a position to come alongside others to help them in their resilience, I pray that they would see the opportunity and step into it. Lord, we are thankful that we are your children. We are thankful that you give us a purpose that allows us to move forward in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, I enjoyed looking at John Wycliffe's life, and I, I hope that you did too. Uh, I encourage you to look at the questions. Spend some time thinking through your answers. Spend some time in discussion if you're watching this with someone else. 
and go into this week knowing with full confidence that God is with you and that anything that comes, as long as you're living out God's purpose, you can do so with resilience. Have a great week, Southridge.